Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Our schedules keep us busy, so it's natural that many of us take a basic skill like reading for granted. So much around us centers on literacy, from understanding assignments at work and school to interpreting road signs or deciding what products to buy at the grocery store. Today, where we live, we explore adult literacy. 36 million, 36 million adults have trouble reading and writing, according to national statistics. We're going to be speaking with a national nonprofit, Pro Literacy, coming up. First, are you someone who struggled to read as an adult? Did you know where to reach out for help, or did you keep it a secret? We want to hear from you, too. You can join our conversation today, 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Now, a member of the community actually pitched this show idea to us, uh, saying adult literacy doesn't get discussed a lot in our society. We're going to talk more about why that is in a few minutes, but we wanted to begin by hearing a first-person account of someone who struggled to read as an adult. So I want to welcome into our studios here, Comey Ogbenohevi, who's a Hartford resident. Uh, Comey, welcome to our show. Thank you. So Comey, you have a soft voice, so make sure you talk right into that microphone uh, nice and loud so our listeners can hear you. So Comey, tell us a little bit about your personal story. So you're actually from Togo, a country in West Africa. Tell us about um, your, where you come from and when you ended up in Connecticut. Uh, I came from Togo, uh, in we- uh, a country in West Africa. Uh, I got here almost two years. I won a diversity, uh, lottery visa. In 2017, you yeah. came to, to the U.S.? Uh, so um, you won a visa, so you're able to come to this country. So what was that like, uh, to come to a new place? Uh, at the beginning, I was a little bit scared because I don't know what I had to deal with the expectation, and I had kind of pressure on me, all my families, and I'm going to start a new life with new people, a new culture, people don't, I don't know. I don't really know what I expect, but when I got here, everything went smoothly with me. For me. So at first you were scared, uh, a lot of pressure on you, but once you arrived here uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, you felt a little bit better. So tell us what your English uh, ability was uh, when you arrived. Did you know any English? Were you able to read or write English? Yes. Uh, I did. When I was back home uh, in Togo, uh, I, did, uh, I studied American literature. My reading and uh, writing skills are good, but I had difficulty to express myself. Then when I got here, I set a goal for myself. I said, uh, in six months, I can speak fluently. Then I did it. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, many of us are uh, familiar with learning a foreign language, so say in school, so we learn maybe basic uh, Spanish or French, but once we uh, go to a foreign country where that language is spoken, it's, a lot, it's hard to uh, feel confident uh, to speak what you have learned. So you said you set a goal for yourself. How did you find help to learn uh, better English? I can say uh, literacy volunteer helped me a lot. When I got there, I was a little shy, and the tutor said, uh, you're starting a new life. Don't be shy. We are here to help you. Every time they help, they come to me. You got to talk. And if you have something, just say, if not, correct. We just got it to you. It will help you to improve yourself. Mm. And I did it. So you just mentioned Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. So this is the nonprofit organization uh, that um, you heard about. Uh, who told you about this group? Oh, uh, it's my uncle. When I got here, he said, seeing you that how to work now, we can, you can start taking some class at Literacy Volunteer. Two days when I got here, he brought me at LVGH, and I talked with uh, Paula, I signed the paper, and the next week I start with the classes. So in studio with us is someone from Literacy Volunteers who helped Comey, and her name is CJ House. She's executive director of Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. CJ, welcome to our show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, Comey was telling us uh, his uncle um, actually t- brought him to uh, Literacy uh, Volunteers uh, to um, get better with English skills. So is that a common a referral where community members know someone who's struggling and they say, hey, I know of a nonprofit that can help you? It's very common. Most of our students are com- come to us through family members, through someone who is a student. Um, interestingly, uh, we're seeing a lot of students coming through Facebook as well. They'll be messaging us through Facebook as well. Um, but when Comey first arrived at Literacy Volunteers, um, he was very quiet. He was very shy. Um, he was afraid to speak. Um, and to have observed and be- been able to witness his journey from, from that s- scared person uh, who arrived here with no family here, um, and uh, to blossom into who he is today is just uh, one of the magical things we get to we get to do at Literacy Volunteers. Uh, when uh, new immigrants come to this country, one of the first things besides finding a place to live is they need to find a job. And so to not be able to uh, understand what someone's saying or to read instructions, that can be a real barrier. Absolutely. It, it starts with... Um, you know, one of the things I love most about what we're able to do is really get to the root of, of helping someone become independent. Once you have a command of the language, once you can communicate, uh, so many other things become possible, um, including getting a job, learning how to take the bus to get to that job. Um, so all of those things are, are things that are you know incorporated in, in the process. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Comey, how often were you going to Literacy Volunteers to uh, get better uh, with your reading and writing uh, during the week? Uh, at the beginning, every morning, uh, mo- uh, Tuesday and Thursday morning, then learn, uh, Monday and Wednesday afternoon, and now uh, Monday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning. Uh- and when you went uh, to Literacy Volunteers, did you have the same person helping you each time, or 
just curious about the people that helped you when you when you went there. Yes, the same peoples. Uh, so, uh, CJ, tell us about uh, who the people are. Many are volunteers? Many are volunteers. We have about 225 volunteers um, between our two centers. We have a center in Hartford and a center in East Hartford. Um, Comey uh, started with us taking classes, taking English for speakers of other languages, the SOL classes. Um, one of the uh, We start with wherever the student is and whatever the student's strengths are and whatever the student needs. So uh, Comey needed to learn English, um, to speak English. His reading and writing skills were actually quite good and are still quite good, even better. Um, but also, uh, so Comey also worked with our Career uh, Pathways facilitator, who is a person who helps uh, our students once they have a, a grasp of, uh, enough of a grasp of the language to make that bridge between what's your next step. Your next step may be getting a job. Um, in Comey's case, it was getting a job. It was also going on to college. Um, so that's another professional. So there, there's a staff of about, we have 12 professionals, um, educators, um, career counselors who uh, who are there. And then we have the 225 volunteers who do everything from teaching the classes, um, teaching uh, whether it's English for speakers of other languages or math or citizenship or basic literacy, um, digital literacy. Um, we have labs where, where our volunteers are teaching there too. Um, and uh, whatever issues get in the way of someone getting to their goal, um, there's somebody there that will help them make that, get that pathway. I understand, uh, Comey, you're now in college. So by connecting with literacy volunteers, that helped you uh, know how to apply? Yeah, they helped me. Uh, after with uh, the career pathway facilitator, uh, at the beginning, we were trying to get the GAG. Then I told him, uh, I've been uh, at the college back home. And he said, oh, that's good. It, you don't have to pass the GAG. I know some people at Capital that can help you get in the college. And we did it. So you're now a freshman at Capital Community College, I'll write in uh, downtown Hartford. But you're also working. Tell us about where you work. Uh, I'm working at Dunkin' Donut and downtown Central Row. And uh, you mentioned that uh, you started going there, but you're still going to literacy volunteers to continue to, to strengthen your skills. Uh, so what is your your goal, uh, Comey, once you graduate? Uh, right now, my goal uh, is get in law college. And I have people that are helping me now to achieve those goals. Uh, last year at the gala, I met some lawyer and that are still talking with right now. Mm. They're trying to help me to navigate uh, through my goal. Through my goal. So you want to go to law school uh, yes. after uh, completing at Capital Community College. Uh, CJ, he mentioned a gala, so this was an event where uh, people um, heard uh, Comey's story for Absolutely. literacy volunteers. So every year we have an annual gala. Our gala this year will be on March 30th. Um, last year, um, Comey spoke and told his story to about 250 uh, of our supporters, of our stakeholders, of our donors. Um, and uh, Comey was uh, a little bit more nervous then than he, he was today to come on to the show. Um, and by the end of the speech, um, he actually went back up and didn't ad lib. Um, so that was the point at which we realized that Comey's confidence level was, uh, was growing as well. Um, so he told his story. And I think one of the important things about having students tell their story is that it's, th this is very often a hidden population. Um, people don't see uh, people who are uh, 
learning English as another language or are low literate um, and can read or write. And to know how hard that is and what a challenge uh, it is to come and, and do that, mm-hmm. um, to be able to share that story, it's just a whole lot more powerful coming from the student. And and we're going to be hearing more about some of the challenges uh, that people in the United States face who um, have trouble reading and writing. But I do want to thank Comey Ogbenohevi from Hartford, uh, who again uh, was taking and still taking uh, English uh, uh, classes at Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. Uh, Comey, you didn't seem nervous at all. I thought you did a great job. It's hard to talk on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm confident now. (laughs) Uh, Comey's real goal is he's going to be our next ambassador. That's, that's, we're going to get him to the UN. That's it. <laughs> well, Comey, thank you again for coming in to talk with us. It's a pleasure. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, today we're talking more about uh, this issue that we don't talk often about in our society, and that is uh, the tr- many Americans, 36 million Americans, in fact, who struggle to read and write. We're going to talk about uh, why that is and why that rate hasn't gone down in recent years. And we also want to hear from you. Are you someone who struggled with reading and writing as an adult? You can join us, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're focusing on literacy. Did you know across the U.S., 36 million Americans have difficulty reading? Does that number surprise you? Are you one of them? Join our conversation, 860-275-7266. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, We just heard from a student at uh, Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford, uh, someone who came to this country from Togo uh, who needed help strengthening uh, his English uh, skills. Uh, C.J. House is in studio with me. She's executive director of this Connecticut-based nonprofit, Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. Uh, So it sounds like uh, many of your students are new immigrants. But does it mean that all of them are? No, many of our students are new immigrants. About two thirds of our two thirds of our students, and the other third are students who can speak English but can't read or write it. And that population uh, may be individuals who come from a, a, an English speaking country where they did not have access to education. But I think the um, the sad part is that it is also a significant portion of that population are people who are uh, graduates of the K through twelve system here in the states. Um, who are graduating high school and unable to read and write. Uh, We talked about this national statistic, but maybe uh, let's just uh, drill down more into what you were just saying, CJ, about uh, locally. I mean, how many people, uh, how many adults in Hartford struggle with reading? So our city is in in a crisis. Um, The the newest statistics that we have indicate that there are about 70 percent, seven zero, 70% of Hartford adults are reading below a a sixth grade level, and about a little over 40% are reading below a third grade level. Um, So the impact that that has on a community, we can talk about the impact on an individual, um, but the impact on a community is um, with low literacy comes poverty, with low literacy comes uh, increased hospitalization. Um, And the saddest piece is that uh, the best predictor of a child's literacy level is that child's parents' literacy level. So it is a generational um, crisis um, that we, we just absolutely have no choice but, but to address. That, that's kind of the bad news, the scary news. Um, the good news is uh, 
when we tackle this problem and when we tackle this challenge, um, it has a wonderful domino effect. It's a keystone um, skill. You learn to read. You learn to write. You learn to communicate. You can get a job. You can uh, your health and you know access health care. You can it, it impacts a whole lot of other social issues that we deal with. Uh, maybe uh, walk us through uh, more of that. At the start of the show, I talked about it. You know, it's hard. It's easy for us to take for granted that reading is a basic skill, right? Because words are around us uh, each and every day. We have to communicate with people. So uh, walk us through a daily, uh, someone's uh, day, day where they're coming across different scenarios. And if they are low literate, uh, that can be a problem. So I, I like to think about it if you are going, if you're traveling um which is a fun thing to do as opposed to trying to get through your life, but you're traveling and you're all of a sudden dumped in a country that you don't know the language. What's the first thing you do? You look for someone who speaks English um, because it's really hard to figure out the train schedule, figure out uh, how to get to your hotel. Um, for someone who is low literate in this country, for the most part, uh, many, many of our students have developed strategies to manage. Um, and you probably know someone who's low literate um, but uh, they're not going to tell, and 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 you you haven't seen it because you know they go to fill out a form. They'll go, oh, I can't fill out the form. I need my glasses. Um, but the kinds of practical things that someone will face, uh, you get a prescription for your child. Can you read it? Do you know if it's oral or oral? Um, does it go in the child's mouth? Does it go in the child's ear? Um, do you can you read a bus schedule? Can you get from here to there to get to to your work? Um, you know, we lived in a society where uh, there were a lot of jobs where you didn't need to read or write. Um, those jobs are fading, um, and those jobs are going away. So, you know, the, the level of skill is even more needed. Um, digital literacy is a whole other realm that, you know, we could talk about also is how do you manage everything that you have to do online? Um, I, saw, I thought something that you said that was uh, pretty powerful is uh, that uh, many uh, children that are struggling to read, uh, their parents are also yes. low literate. And you mentioned that people get uh, good at passing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering if you could talk, is there a stigma around uh, adults who have trouble reading that they don't want to say, you know, I actually have trouble understanding this? And maybe they don't, mm -hmm. how do they know to go to literacy volunteers? I, and I think some of the... Uh, the most courageous people walk through our doors um, because our, the, it are those people who say, you know what, I can't read. I need to do something about it. Um, very often the motivation is another family member who says you can do this. Um, very often it is when they try to sit down and help their child with homework and realize that they can't do that. Um, sometimes it's an employer um, who, good, bad, or indifferent, is pushing for, it for a, a higher skill level. Um, but it just, in the end, it's that individual that has to say, hey, this is something I need to tackle. Um, this is something I need to do. And uh, it's not easy. <laughs> not easy at all. In studio with me is C.J. House, Executive Director of Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. Uh, it's a Connecticut-based uh, nonprofit. As we talk about adult illiteracy, uh, are you one of uh, many Americans, uh, 36 million Americans, who struggle to read and write? How has that impacted you uh, in uh, your life? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Chris is calling from North Brantford. Chris, go ahead. Hi, how you doing? My name's uh, Chris, and uh, I'm extremely, extremely dyslexic. Um, I've had trouble reading and writing pretty much all my life. Um, growing up, I went to uh, two schools that specialize in LD uh, learning disabilities. Uh, one was in uh, 
Southport, Connecticut. The other one was a high school in Hardwick, Mass, called Eagle Hill School. And um, right now, I decided to go back to school, and I am in paramedic school, which is no easy task. And I just wanted to kind of talk about some of the things that I use to uh, help me to kind of get through some of the uh, heavy reading I have to do. Sure, go ahead. Um, So uh, all of our books come with, um, they're narrated, um, and I found that that is an amazing tool. Um, When you have to read, you know, a few hundred pages a night or something like that, um, it allows me to get through a lot of material. And for the books that I don't have uh, um, on tape, I you know, if there's a, a medical word I'm unfamiliar with, uh, dictionary.com has a lot of pronunciation uh, tools where you could type the word in and it will actually uh, spit it out to you in a, so you can hear it. And uh, when I have to do run forms, which are like a, a patient care report, you have to write up everything that you've done to a patient. Um Text-to-talk, again, is a, an amazing tool, and sometimes it doesn't pick it up quite well. So one of the things that you can do is that you can actually have it read it back to you. Um, and these are just some of the tools that I've used uh, to kind of make myself successful. Well, thank you, Chris, for uh, talking about that with us uh, here on Where We Live. Coming up, we're going to talk more about uh, the role that technology can play in helping adults who are low literate. Uh, But Chris uh, mentioned, uh, CJ, that he is uh, extremely dyslexic. And so when your volunteers encounter adults who have learning disabilities, uh, maybe mental health issues, how do you navigate that? So uh, our program is uh, is center-based. All of our classes happen in one of our two literacy centers. Um, there is a, a lot of good reasons for that, um, one of which is if a volunteer comes across a situation, whether it's a, a learning disability situation or mental health di- situation, um, there are professionals right there on staff to intervene who know how to help. Um, I do want to thank Chris, who called in, because one of the great things that happens when you're in a class um, and have a community, you have people like Chris in your class with you um, who have been struggling with the same kinds of issues who come up with great strategies for dealing with it. So there is that sharing of peer-to-peer. So that also happens um, in class, things like what Chris just, just said. You mentioned you have uh, two centers, one in Hartford and one in in East Hartford. When I think of individual communities, and there are many in Connecticut, uh, oftentimes uh, community uh, centers, senior centers, libraries are places people feel comfortable to seek out help. So how do you get um, into those places? So uh, we have a network out there of of all kinds of providers, libraries, schools, um, who feed, refer people over to us. Um, there is a model of literacy, an, an old literacy volunteer model, where um, you know most people think about one one on one teaching in a you know one one tutor and one student in a library working on a book. Um, we don't do that um, because adults learn better in groups. Um, because in a center, um, and our centers are. Uh, both of them are on a, multiple bus lines, so they're very accessible. Um, but in a center, you can uh, provide a, a, a real sense of community, which we know helps adults keep coming to class. That's one of the big challenges. Um, when you're an adult and you're going to school, you have a whole lot of other things going in your life. Um, I always like to say, you know, how many of us start on Monday and say, I'm going to go to the gym three times this week? And how many of us get to the gym three times a week? Well, these are people who are committing to come to class three, four, five times a week. Um, along with work, along with managing their families. So having a community of people, uh, students and tutors, volunteers, um, who are right there who are looking forward to seeing you, who want you to be there in class, um, who are going to give you grief if you don't show up, um, that is an incentive. 
um, to get people to come. So there really isn't the necessity, and it actually isn't a great model, uh, service delivery model, to have people all over the place. Um, we also are able to support our tutors. Um, you know, again, I, as I say, we've got educators on staff, um, and there's an accountability measure where we know what's going on in the classrooms, what's working, what's not working, how we can intervene to make it better, a better experience for the student. You're listening uh, to Where We Live. Uh, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest in studio is C.J. House, Executive Director of Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. As we talk about uh, the problem of adult illiteracy, if you're one of them, if there's someone in your family, uh, maybe a parent that struggled to read, uh, we'd like to hear from you, 860-275-7266. We keep uh, mentioning this, uh, how this is a problem nationwide, so I wanted to bring into the conversation Kevin Morgan, President and CEO of Pro-Literacy. This is actually an international nonprofit based in Syracuse, New York. Kevin, welcome to our show. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've been talking to uh, CJ from Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. This is a, a part, uh, our member of pro-literacy. So let's talk a little bit about why adult illiteracy is not often discussed in our society, Kevin. You know, I, I think a lot of times uh, when we talk about education, we want to focus on childhood education. And the the irony is that um, adult literacy impacts childhood e- education. So uh, you had mentioned why, why hasn't this number decreased uh, earlier in your program. And one of the reasons is that children whose parents have low literacy levels, uh, they have a 72% chance of being at the low reading level themselves. And so it perpetuates itself as they go through the school system. Eventually, a lot of these children become adults with low literacy levels. So uh, it doesn't get a lot of attention. And, you know, one of the things uh, that pro-literacy does, aside from research and developing educational content and professional development for our members, is is advocacy. So um, we're thrilled that you're talking about this today because we need to shine a light on this. It doesn't get a lot of attention, but yet... Uh, it has the ability um, to really have economic impact in a lot of different areas for, for the country. Uh, so when we uh, talk about adult illiteracy, often in Connecticut we talk about education disparities and the fact that um, uh, children in cities uh, are doing uh, are, are not meeting uh, educational standards uh, compared to uh, the wealthy suburbs. Uh, when we were talking about doing this show, uh, Kevin, uh, the question always comes up, right? Like if somebody can't read, how are they able to then in the in school system be promoted to the next grade and the next grade? I mean, I mean, how do we get to that fundamental root because eventually they will be adults who are low literate. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because we've we've interviewed a lot of adult learners over the years, and the one thing that you hear over and over again is, um, first of all, they're they're smart individuals, um, and they recognized early on. A lot of times we hear by the time they were in third grade, they realized they were behind, and they were never going to catch up. And so they melted into the back of the classroom, hoping no one would ever call on them, and they get passed along. And then uh, before you know it, they're, they're adults. And so I think um, it, it can be addressed in the school system, but it really has to be addressed. There has to be a parallel path that addresses the adult literacy issue. Otherwise, you'll just keep you know, facing the situation um, where we're looking at trying to improve K through 12 test scores, but in reality, we have to also look at increasing adult literacy rates as well. 
Uh, Kevin, you mentioned the economic impact uh, beyond uh, the individual um, who is struggling, how uh, the fact that 36 million Americans are low literate, how is that impacting us uh, based on uh, the economic opportunities that are available? Well, it's a global economy now, and um, there was a great study that came out in 2013, um, the program for the International Assessment of Adult Competencies. It it measured 24 developing countries' um, reading, numeracy, and the ability to interact with technology on a daily basis. It's a great study. Um, It should have set off alarm bells in Washington when it came out. In 2013, ironically, the reason it didn't was the government was shut down in 2013 uh, when the study came out. But the United States really was way down uh, among 24 developing countries. So when you're looking at um, the workforce, the quality of the workforce, economic development, um, if you increase adult literacy rates, it has a positive impact not only on economic development, but poverty, uh, crime, and a host of other social issues that you read in the headlines every day. Um, so it's, it needs to be addressed not only from a federal and state level, but also from a private sector uh, level. Right now, you've got a situation where we've got effectively full employment in this country. You have a labor shortage, and the answer is to bring in traditionally marginalized uh, adults who um, you know, have a lower education, high school dropouts, low literacy adults, former inmates, and bring them into the workforce uh, through education. Um, one of your uh, member organizations is in studio with us uh, here on Where We Live, and that's C.J. House, Executive Director of Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. So how do you do your work? Who's supporting your nonprofit, C.J.? We are very fortunate in that our funding is diverse. We have uh, state, state funding. Um, we have private funding. We have some wonderful individual donors. Um, I think this community benefits significantly from the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, um, which is uh, doesn't only um, send out money, but also uh, is very engaged in resolving the problem and getting people together. Um, I think, you know, t- talking a little bit more about what Kevin was saying is the approach to this issue uh, can't come from one sector. Um, and it, it is not, it's complex. Um, the, you know, the K through 12 system can't fix it. Um, digital literacy, much as we would love to have a magic bullet that would fix it, it can't. Um, we need to have a, a community response. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, personally, um, my education was very European as opposed to American. And I think that the American K-12 system needs to take a good hard look uh, at beginning with the student and the student's strengths um, as opposed to beginning with a test score and trying to get a student to a test score. Mm-hmm. Um, but it needs to be a, uh, an effort that comes from many different angles. Um, you know, when we have an individual student coming in who needs to learn English, that's a beginning point. Um, but that individual then also needs help to uh, get to the next point, which may be um, it, it may be something as simple as being able to participate in a parent-teacher conference and teaching them the skills that, of advocacy that they need to do when they go into that parent-teacher conference. Another path may be job skills. You know, to, we have a couple of job training programs that they can be in, um, career counseling, figuring out what's out there. In Connecticut, we have a skills gap, um, but we have really a skills misalignment um, where we actually have people who have high school diplomas, who have college diplomas. They just don't happen to be in the fields in which the industries in Connecticut need them to be in. 
Yeah. I was thinking uh, often uh, is discussed here in Connecticut are uh, the defense contractors that are looking for uh, adults who can uh, do these jobs. And so right. there's there's uh, partnerships with, between certain community colleges to get people's yep. math and science skills up. But am I hearing what you're saying that um, when we think about the private sector, there needs to be more investment also in helping adults with low literacy skills uh, to get Absolutely. to that point. To get to that point, because that's where our population grows is in the state is in the new immigrants. If we did not have new immigrants coming into the state, we would have no, we would be losing people. Um, so we need to bring those skills up, the basic literacy skills up, and then to the next level. Um, I mean, we teach math. STEM is the big, you know, the, I couldn't do, I have multiple degrees. I could not do advanced manufacturing. Um, so there, there is a, it has to be a, a combination of, of forces coming in to resolve this. You can join our conversation here on literacy on where we live. Again, 36 million Americans struggle to read and write. Uh, on the phone with us, uh, again, is Kevin Morgan, president and CEO of ProLiteracy, an international nonprofit based in Syracuse. Uh, Kevin, when we think about the types of jobs available out there in our economy for low-literate Americans, so what kind of jobs um, are they um, having to take? And is there, are there, uh, evidence, is there evidence that private sectors are stepping up to help uh, some of these workers? Yeah, the, it's finally happening. Uh, I think 10 years ago, a lot of times when we would talk to employers um, and try to get them to invest in adult education for their workers, they were actually concerned that if they educated their workers, they may leave. And so now what we're seeing is uh, you have companies, there's a lot of examples out there recently where uh, Taco Bell, for instance, some, some of the hospitality industry uh, hotels are actually funding um, high school equivalency education for their workers that get their high school equivalency degree and post-secondary education. So they recognize that not only is that a recruitment tool to attract workers, but it's also a great tool to keep workers and promote workers from within. Uh, you know, it just makes good economic sense uh, if you want to attract workers. Uh, I heard CJ's comment earlier in the program about you know, a lot of the blue-collar jobs, the entry-level blue-collar jobs, they really don't exist anymore in the sense that no one's going to hand you a hammer and say, hit that anymore. It's going to be um, operate the computer so that you can operate the plasma cutter to cut the steel. I mean, it, it just, it's even the blue collar jobs have some digital component to them. So you have to be able to interact with technology. You need to be able to read. Um, and some of the other workforce skills, um, you know, just being able to work within a team atmosphere, showing up on time, those are all things that um, help people prepare for the workforce. And uh, because you brought up uh, digital literacy, I'm wondering, Kevin, if you could talk about um, the role of technology in reaching uh, uh, people who have a low literacy, especially if they're not in the urban areas, such as uh, CJ's uh, nonprofit that uh, uh, helps people in the greater Hartford area. Yeah, I mean, programs like CJ's and all the other member programs around the country do a terrific job, um, a lot of times with volunteers. Not everyone has access to those programs. So the technology, which um, education technology has really been uh, developed a lot in the K-12 sector and the higher ed sector, we're starting to see um, options in the adult literacy space that allow students to access um, either remotely, if they don't have access to a local literacy program, or in some cases it complements what they're uh, achieving in their local literacy program where they can work at home 
through a smartphone, which oftentimes is their only digital connection. Uh, if you live in poverty or you know you're a low-income household, the phone is uh, is the connection. You don't have broadband at home, for instance, or oftentimes a laptop. So. Uh, as CJ said, we don't look at technology as a silver bullet for the um, adult literacy issue, but we think it can be, through a blended learning uh, strategy, really effective in helping students uh, advance their literacy skills. CJ? Uh, I, I would agree 100%. I think it's another facet, and um, it, we integrate it into all of our classes. You know, we use Duolingo. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've got all the uh, students uh, use it to... Um, when they're if they can't act if they can't come to a center for whatever reason, um, but it also augments all the all the learning. I think what I love about uh, about digital literacy too is that people learn differently. Adults learn differently. Not everybody learns in a classroom. Not everyone learns online. Um, and so it is another way, another pathway of education for people to access, another tool for them to use. Um, so I think it, it is absolutely critical um, to incorporate technology. Uh, I also wanted to follow up a, a little bit, too, about uh, some of our local employer partners um, here at Literacy Volunteers. We have about 20 employers that we work with um, who uh, are willing to interview and, and, and employ our students, um, and we work with them to uh, make sure that those students are well prepared for the positions that uh, that, they're, that those companies are looking for. For example, we have a food service training program that we do in collaboration with Sodexo. Um, and we have a Sodexo chef who teaches our students in a kitchen um, how to do what they need to do when they get hired by Sodexo. Um, and, and those 20 employers that we work with all have a pathway for promotion because I think one of the things we need to understand is when you're talking about someone who has low literacy, they're, they're not going to enter a 14-week program and come out as, you know, competent in advanced manufacturing, and they can, you know, do that laser thing that you talked about, Kevin, um, necessarily. Some can, some can't. So it is a process, and it is sometimes getting the foot in the door um, and moving through. So we do, I won't want to say locally, we have some fabulous employer partners. Uh, Kirk is calling from East Hartford. Kirk, uh, what's your question or comment? Well, this question's for CJ. I'm a small business owner in East Hartford, and <clears throat> I'm wondering what, as an individual, or even as a small business owner, can I do to help support the program? Because I think it affects, you know, uh, not only us in East Hartford, and, but, you know, clearly Hartford as well. Um, I would love for you to uh, place a phone call and you and I can talk um, because there is a lot of things that a small business person can do. Um, including, uh, I mean, we may have, if you're looking for employees, we may be able to help you with that. Um, we may be help, helpful to just get the word out to your employees that we are a service that, that is available in East Hartford. Um, you probably have some employees, May, who, who are low literate that we could help. Um, so, um, so let's talk, please. So we'll pass along uh, Kirk's uh, phone number uh, to our in-studio guest, C.J. House, Executive Director of Literacy Volunteers of Greater Hartford. C.J., thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Also on the phone with us was Kevin Morgan, president and CEO of ProLiteracy, an international nonprofit based in Syracuse, New York. Kevin, thank you. 
Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, we're going to continue our conversation about literacy, learn more about uh, advances in technology uh, to help uh, people who are low literate. But before we do that, we want to let you know, if you live in the quiet corner, Where We Live is coming to a coffee shop near you, Where We Live is hosting a coffee break at local cafes around the state, to hear from you what issue or story in your community is not getting the attention it needs. You can join me and Where We Live producers Lydia Brown and Carmen Baskoff next Tuesday January 22nd at the Vanilla Bean Cafe in Pomfret, Connecticut. You can learn more at Where We Live's Facebook page. And you can also join our conversation now, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So how can communities work to make literacy more accessible? My next guest leads a $7 million competition focused on developing and deploying mobile tools to help uh, those who read at or below a third grade level. I want to welcome uh, onto the show Dr. Shlomi Katan, Executive Director of the Adult Literacy X Prize. Uh, Shlomi, welcome to our show. Good morning, Lucy. Thanks for having me on. So this sounds exciting. What is X Prize exactly? It's a good question. So uh, XPRIZE is a nonprofit organization that's been around 25 years that essentially believes in a more optimistic future for humanity and for the planet. And what do I mean by that? We believe that the world overall is getting better because of technology, but that we as humans need to do something with that in order to more equally and democratically distribute that overall improvement in, in human life. So we live longer uh, healthier, easier lives than we have before on a global scale, uh, but that's not evenly distributed. And we believe that human beings are the ones that can solve those challenges. And one of the important aspects of that is that today, because of technology, because of smartphones and computer technology uh, and robotics and artificial intelligence and all these other technologies that are coming online over the next decade or so at a massive level, more people than ever can solve those problems, and we can solve them uh, better. And what XPRIZE does is enable those solutions through these large-scale incentive prize competitions. That's a model that's existed for centuries. It actually is responsible for, for canning and for uh, transatlantic flights. But essentially, if you put out a target, you tell people, here's the problem that we want you to solve, and we will incentivize you to solve it. Someone will go out and solve it. And if we can rely on the genius of the crowd to do that, we're much more likely to get a solution that is better for more people. So you're focusing in on adult literacy. Uh, tell us how and who are the finalists that are working on these mobile tools? Yeah, so uh, XPRIZE works across a number of sectors, ranging from uh, ocean health to oil cleanup to space exploration, and then, of course, education. That's one of the challenge areas that we believe is important to address. Um, the Adult Literacy X Prize is a competition for mobile app developers to develop the type of uh, learning technology that adult learners can use anytime, anywhere to improve their their literacy skills. It targets both native speakers of English and English language learners who read at or below the equivalent of a third grade level, um, to, to use kind of a, a colloquial term for that. And um, we launched the competition just about three and a half years ago in June of 2015. At that point, and this 
ties into something that uh, Kevin Morgan said earlier on the show. There, there weren't a lot of technology solutions available. In fact, if you look at mobile apps, there were only two companies in the world that were developing mobile software for adults at this level of skill. And um, we put up a prize, $7 million in total. We had 705 teams pre-register, 109 teams actually register to compete. And today we're down to five finalists. And on February 7th, we'll actually announce the winners. And those five finalists include um, a, a startup from California, a company that's been in K-12 education for over 20 years in San Diego, California. Uh, we have uh, one organization that is a university team competing out of Amrita University, which is the top rank uh, private university in India, as well as a collaboration amongst uh, Lyft, which is Literacy Instruction for Texas, a 57-year-old nonprofit serving adult learners in greater Dallas, uh, collaborating together with Southern Methodist University, both their School of Education and their uh, School of Engineering. And then finally, another uh, startup started uh, by technologists in Hong Kong and educators in the United States. So those are the five finalists. They've all built um, a diverse set of, of uh, learning tools uh, that seem to be working really well for, for the adults who use them. On the phone with me is Dr. Shlomi Katan, Executive Director of the Adult Literacy X Prize. We're hearing a little bit about the finalists for this $7 million competition to uh, create uh, mobile uh, tools to help those who are low literate or are reading at or below a third grade level. So how do you, um, you know, expect this, once you choose a finalist, how do you expect to then have access to those who, who really need it, those who uh, live in uh, low, po- um, high poverty areas? And I'm just curious about you know, how long that can take. Yeah, so I think there's, there's two levels to that question. One question is the access the, that adult learners have to the devices and to um, the online capabilities that will make it possible for them to access these tools. And then the second is how do you actually get market penetration? On the first one, um, when we launched the competition, about two-thirds of uh, low literacy adults in the United States had regular access to a mobile device, whether it were a smartphone or a tablet. Today, that number is creeping up to close to 80 to 85 uh, percent, pretty much in line with smartphone penetration for the general population, which makes sense when you think about it. When about 15 percent of the adult population in the United States is low literate, then um, you wouldn't be able to get the close to 90 percent penetration of smartphones that we have in the in the general population without making significant inroads into low income um, and also uh, low low literacy communities. Um, now, what these uh, smartphone users usually don't have is robust data plans. Um, so they'll use prepaid phones and they'll also use uh, publicly available free Wi-Fi, be it at the library or at a coffee shop or uh, increasingly more and more cities and municipalities are providing uh, free Wi-Fi access uh, throughout the city. So as that happens, that gives more people opportunities to access these tools. And as uh, Kevin Morgan mentioned earlier, often the cell phone is the single and only way that uh, low literacy individuals are accessing the internet. 
And so um, we know that they have the devices to do so. Often there's some usage gaps, uh, maybe not the same level of fluency in terms of using something like the App Store or Google Play, but nonetheless um, have access to the tools and know how to use them and precisely uh, to address the needs that, that those individuals have, just like all of us do. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece, though, is a question of go-to-market strategies and penetration. And um, as with any company, uh, we know that uh, some companies will be commercially successful and some won't be, regardless of how effective their tools are. And so one of the things that XPRIZE is, is doing together with the fund funders of this competition, so this is a competition that was funded by the Barbara Bush Foundation for Family Literacy, which is a 30-year-old uh, foundation serving family literacy needs in the United States, and the Dollar General Literacy Foundation, which has a similarly long history of uh, um, funding adult education organizations throughout the country. They funded the Adult Literacy X Prize, and the th these three organizations together, X Prize together with these funders, believe that one of the important ways we're going to get these tools into the hands of the learners who need them most is to make it possible for them to get it for free for as long as possible. Well, so, it's, it's certainly, we're going to be running out of time soon. Uh, Dr. Shlomi Katan, again, Executive Director of the Adult Literacy uh, X Prize. We heard from our guests earlier that um, said that technology is not a silver bullet, but it can't help. It can help when you have so many people with smartphones. And on February 7th, we're going to hear more about uh, who's chosen uh, to help uh, lead this technology forward. Uh, but we want to thank you, uh, Shlomi, for telling us about this really exciting uh, venture, and we can't wait to hear more. Of course. Glad to be on, and thanks for having me. Again, uh, Shlomi Katan, Executive Director of the Adult Literacy X Prize. Uh, we want to also uh, thank our previous guests, as well as uh, our technical producer, who's Kion Wolf. Our senior producer is Lydia Brown. Uh, thanks to Carmen Baskoff on the phones. You can learn more about the show at wnpr.org slash where we live. We'll tweet out more information about the X Prize, uh, Adult Literacy X Prize competition at where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening.